everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. All right, everyone, welcome back to another Turbo. The topic today is dilation. Dilation during the Seldinger technique, as we do so often in bedside procedures such as central lines, um, gosh, uh, chest tubes, any number of things that require a bigger hole than your needle initially made. Pretty fundamental part of the Seldinger technique. And, you know, I, I often say that for most of these procedures, they're not really that hard. Uh, there's steps to learn, and, and really any monkey could learn them. The only, quote, hard part of these, the part that requires practice and training, and there's kind of a, a deep uh, learning curve to it, is generally needle guidance on ultrasound. It's that ability to follow a needle into a structure. That can be kind of hard. Um, however, I will say that if there is a second skill that does have some nuance to it, not nearly as deep, but there is something to it, and is maybe often ignored, it is dilation. Dilation is the other part of these techniques where there is the chance for you to go wrong. So let's take a few minutes and look at the nuances of dilation, how to do it well, how to do it poorly, the ergonomics of it, and troubleshooting. All right, so number one is ergonomics. How are you actually physically performing dilation? You've put a dilator onto a wire, you need to advance it. You're gonna hold this dilator very, very close to the skin, all right? That's the first error here. People see that it's a long pencil-like thing and they wanna hold it up by the base. First of all, you can't because it's too floppy. If you try to push it from very far back, it's just gonna bend. Second of all, you shouldn't because you really wanna be able to concentrate your force right at the tip. The tip is where the dilation is happening. So you wanna hold it as close to the tip as you can. And I really mean that. You could actually, and uh, you could do this, but I mean it more as an example. You could probably hold the dilator right at the skin, meaning leaving no space at all between your hand and the skin. And you say, well, how will I dilate? Well, the skin will, will flex, will move as you press. And you could probably dilate with that movement alone. Now, in fact, I would hold it just a, a touch farther back, but we're really talking within a centimeter or two. Second, your hand should be in an overhand position. So you're holding this the way you'd hold um, a magic wand, not the way you'd hold a pencil or, um, or reversed, an upside down magic wand. Um, and the reason is because that's really the only position where you're gonna have good ergonomics for the sort of pressure you need here. Any other position tends to create angles. You tend to kind of uh, force a moment into that, that pressure, and that's not what you want. Much like holding scalpels, this is a time when a lot of people want to, uh, based on their position relative to the bed or to the insertion site, they want to hold it in some other way. Don't do that. Contort your body so you can maintain this hand position, even if you have to reach your arm around or, or do strange things. All right, once you have your grip, you're going to apply pressure, and the pressure you're applying repeat after me, it is firm, steady, patient pressure. Now, what do I mean by those? 
it's firm and it will often be more pressure than you expect, uh, dependent on some of the other things we'll mention, such as the size of your skin nick. But expect that you may need a fair amount of pressure. It is steady, meaning not jerky. And this is where a lot of people go wrong. They think the pressure they need is sort of a, a, a jerking, popping motion. But in fact, that will not succeed for you. And you need to understand kind of the, the fundamental physics of dilation here. And if there's one thing you remember, I hope it's this. Dilation occurs when the dilator moves past tissue, when it moves relative to it. So if you have a dilator and it's pushing on skin and you advance the dilator by a centimeter and the skin also moves a centimeter, it just kind of bobs with it and then you relax, and then they both come back a centimeter, no dilation has occurred. Dilation only occurs when you advance this dilator a centimeter and the skin remains motionless. And that's why I said patient pressure. There's actually a time element of this. You put the pressure on, and you sort of, you sort of wait. And if everything else is in line, you will gradually feel the tissue opening up and your dilator advancing. And it takes, usually, a good number of seconds for every push, and that's why you have to wait for it. When you're just kind of jerking and popping, the tissue just bounces with you, and you never get anywhere. What about angle? Well, the starting point for your angle of advancing should be the same angle as you stuck with your needle to reach the vessel. This should make sense. This is how you access the vessel. This is the pathway that your wire is occupying. And therefore, that's the pathway that your dilator should take. Um, and that should also suggest to you that you're dilating to about that same depth. Whether you're not really dilating the vessel, just the skin and the sub tract, or you are dilating the vessel, um, tends to not be super material for small catheters. But in fact, you probably are and should be dilating the vessel at least a little. Otherwise, that's going to create a, a choke point. And you notice this more for larger catheters. Now, I will say that when in doubt, your angle of dilation, you should probably err on the side of making it more flat, meaning uh, dropping the tail towards the patient and advancing more parallel to the skin. And I say that because the risk with dilation with taking an angle different from your wire is kinking, right? The wire is guiding your dilator, but it's not infinitely stiff if you... Uh, deviate acutely from it, you will create a kink in your wire, uh, which is just no end of headaches because it doesn't bounce back. The wire is only finitely elastic, and if you kink it enough, it will permanently kink. And now you have an angle in this thing that you have to work around, or in some cases get a new wire. But it is unusual to kink your wire by taking too flat of a path. It's just hard to do. Generally, it's because you went in too steep. So if you're going to err in one direction, err on the side of being too flat. Uh, I would say it's somewhat hard also to kink it by going too far to one side, but it is possible, especially if you got confused about where your angle was. Not uncommon in the IJ. People get kind of confused about what pathway their IJ is. It could be a very different angle than you thought. Obviously, the answer is just to remember where you stuck it, but sometimes people get distracted, maybe the neck moves, and then they don't realize the IJ is actually angled much differently. So just pay some mind to it while you're doing your actual needle stick. I know you're distracted by other things. Okay, what is your other hand doing? 
By and large, it's probably good practice to have your other hand on the wire. And this is not so much because the wire is going to float away in the wind and get lost, uh, but because dilation occurs most effectively and safely when you're dilating over a fixed tract, which is your wire, and your wire is going to be better fixed if you anchor the back end. Of course, the front end of it, you can't get a hand on, but it is semi-anchored by being in the vessel. Um, and, you know, the more wire you have on the back end, it's sort of anchored by its weight, but it will do better if you anchor it with your hand. Now, uh, the one time you may not want to do this is right as you enter the skin. And I say that because as you enter the skin, you may want slash need your other hand to provide counter-traction. What's the deal with counter-traction? So we talked about pushing against the skin and having the skin move with you is not helpful. That's just bouncing. You need to move past the skin. And some patients have quite floppy skin. It's very loose. And therefore, it tends to do that. When you try to push, it tends to move with you. And this never happens more than right when you're entering the skin. That's often when you have the most resistance. So we'll talk about skin nicks to help with this. But... The other thing you may need to do is take your other hand and anchor the skin against traction. So you, you anchor it from moving forward. So as you dilate, it cannot move with it. Therefore, you're kind of stretching it apart and you're able to dilate past the skin. Now, it is very reasonable and totally within the principle of anchoring your wire to, for the initial push past the skin, get your hand on the skin enter the skin, and then once you're in, put your hand on the wire and anchor it from there. That is totally fine. Okay, what about skin nicks? The whole reason you may need to nick the skin with a scalpel is to start your dilation. Um, number one, because as you've probably found in life when you're trying to tear other substances, it is much easier to widen a tear or a hole once it's started than to create it. That's just one of the sort of principles of, of materials, uh, tears tend to extend. And that's really what you're doing with your nick. You're just starting a incision, a cut, and then that cut is going to be torn or widened opened by the dilator. So that should su suggest to you what you need to do, which is not to make a big one. <laughs> and really, my goal for skin nick is usually literally as small as possible. The smallest skin nick, which is still a skin nick. Once you have started to nick it, you're done. I do this by, uh, I fully extend the scalpel blade. I know some people like to only partially extend it, but then it kind of changes the shape of it. Um, and then just slide the back end, the dull end of the scalpel, along the wire into the same hole. You need to take caution that you're actually entering the same hole. It's usually a little obscured by blood, you usually kind of blot at first. It's easy to miss it. But once you just kind of make a plunge incision of any amount, I'm generally done. Now, the room for variability here is either no skin nick. And you can do this. Uh, people I trained with originally like to do it. If someone who is prone to bleeding, like a very coagulopathic patient, this may be worth exploring. And maybe other situations as prosaic as you dropped your dilator or something. Probably 80% of patients, you can do this. The caveat is that sometimes you, you can't. Sometimes the skin is too tough uh, and you just can't get started. And the risk here, well, there's two. One is that this is a great time to kink your wire because if you're putting a lot of force to open the skin up, uh, you're not able to really feel 
when you're not following your wire. And then you push, 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 and then you finally do get in, and you realize that you've deeply kinked your wire at the skin level. The other risk is that you're putting that pressure uh, against the wire. And the dilator is actually somewhat soft and can be damaged this way. You sort of blunt the tip, and what you'll see when you inspect it is that you've sort of bent the tip of the dilator around the wire. You've sort of saddled it as if it's straddling the wire, and it's got kind of a, a bend to it. Um, and it just it creates a sort of frayed, sharp edge that no longer has um, a nice tip with a, a gradual flow to the uh, diameter of the dilator. Now, can you still complete the procedure with this? Yeah, probably. Um, but it may not be the best idea. I mean, if you just look at it, you'll see that this seems like it's probably going to cause more trauma to the, the vessel, be harder to advance, might be more painful. So you may need a new dilator. So this is kind of what you want to avoid here. What I would say is if you're trying to dilate with no skin neck or a very, very small one, and you just, you're getting a lot of pressure, and this does take some feel, there's some amount of pressure, and I, we talked about you need a fair amount, you need to be patient, et cetera, et cetera, but you may need to say, just let me take pause here and widen my skin neck. Now, when would you want a very big skin neck? This is one of those things where it's a, a, a tool to be implemented. The bigger the catheter and dilator you're going to be using, obviously the bigger skin nick would be appropriate. The upper end here is you never, never need a skin nick bigger than the actual final size of the hole, right? And you'll see this. You go and maybe take out a line, and you see that the, the hole is like gaping around the catheter. Obviously that's unnecessary. It's just creating a, a big scar, probably bleeding. The nick is just to start the hole. And I guess in, in theory, you can make it the exact size of the hole, but that's not really something you're going to eyeball. But you never need to exceed the diameter of what you're putting in there. Um, but it is true that the bigger the hole, the more easy it will be to dilate and then put your catheter in. So if that is a concern, and the, the bigger it is, the more of a concern it should be, yeah, you can go bigger. If you're putting giant lines in, like ECMO cannula or something, this is probably not the time to be super sparing with your skin nicks. Um, and of course, it will facilitate the speed of the procedure too if you don't have to be quite so patient and cautious with your dilation. Good size skin nick and dilator will probably fly right in there and then the catheter after it. You just will have more bleeding and things like that. Now, some people, when they're advancing their dilator, like to twist it. And my take on this is a little bit nuanced. Do you need to twist your dilator to advance it? No. What you need to do is what we said. Firm, steady, patient pressure, just waiting for the tissue to open up. Uh, adding a rotational twisting effect doesn't really make a difference here. You're not screwing in something. There's no, there's no threads or rotational component. It's just forward pressure. However... Twisting may help manage the loose skin issue, all right? So as you push, the skin is just moving around. Maybe this is not just at the skin, but as, you know, with each push of the dilator in the sub-Q tract, what do you do about this? Well, you could uh, try to do more traction with your other hand, but once you, as you get deeper, it may be harder to traction the, the sub-Q tissue versus just the skin itself. So what can you do? Well, if you twist as you go, what you can do is take up the slack, you know, you twist your dilator and you see the, the tissue twisting with it. And if you twist it enough, 
then the tissue stops moving. You've reached the extent of its looseness, and now it's you're twisting your dilator within the skin. You're moving past it, and that's what you wanted, right? You need to move past the tissue. So now that you've taken up the slack, now you can push forward, maintaining that twist and probably even giving it a bit of a continued twist, not again to like screw things in, but just because it maintains that kind of uh, tension. You, you continue to take that slack up and it doesn't loosen on you. And now it becomes much easier to push without dealing with that excess looseness. Okay, what about when you're having a great deal of resistance dilating? So we talked about at the skin, uh, the moves here are generally probably to widen your hole. But if that's not helping, or especially if it's a continued issue as you go deeper, you don't really want to dissect the whole tract up. You're not doing surgery here, and that would be quite risky if you reach the vessel. Nicking is just for the skin. But some people do have a lot of connective tissue deeper. So the moves here are, again, start with the basics. Firm, steady, patient pressure. Um, but if that's not helping you, it may help to widen your tract a little. And here again, twisting helps. This is the technique I got from the venerable Scott Weingart at MCRIP. The move here is you, you twist your dilator until you, you, you bind up the tissue, as we just described, uh, and then you actually withdraw it. And as you kind of pull back, you continue that twist and, and kind of progress it, as I said. But all you're doing is taking up the slack there, and then you're kind of pulling at that connective tissue. You're, you're stretching and kind of maybe slightly breaking some of the connective tissue, and as you do, as you slide past it on the way out, it widens the hole minutely. And I say it on the way out, it's a withdrawing thing because you know you can get out. That's not hard to do, uh, whereas advancing is the whole challenge. So as you twist and twist and rip, as Scott says, you widen the hole very slightly. And now as you advance again, probably with the same kind of patient and maybe twisting technique, it's a little easier. And you probably repeat this a few times, and now you're able to make good progress. Um, this comes up a lot in tissue that is both tight, sort of tough, and also loose, because the, the twisting kind of helps with both of those issues. The other thing that helps a lot with tight tissue comes back to the wire, because the issue with tight tissue is not just that you can't get through it, which may be the problem, but especially that it's high risk for kinking, because you, you have to use a lot of force and a lot of force is how you kink wires. So the move here, um, and I got this from the, the reanimate course in San Diego, the ECMO folks, you know, the principle is that good technique for any cylinder is basically the same, but you don't have to use it for small lines. But if you learn how to place really big lines, like an ECMO cannula, then those principles uh, will pay you dividends and even more basic ones. So this is how they do it. And I think this is, I thought it was overkill when I first learned it, but now I think it is something that you should use every time because there's, there's no reason not to. And kinking wires is something that I find is a problem even for fairly experienced users. You know, when you get good at lines, the issues that still may plague you, this is probably one of them. You still, not infrequently, kink a wire and it just drives you nuts. How do you avoid it? The way you avoid it is as you dilate, your other hand is on your wire. And as you dilate, that hand is continuously, continuously moving the wire in and out. 
we're kind of just racking it back and forth, only a very small amount, you know, less than a centimeter you could. And all you're doing is you want to feel that the wire is moving freely. If you can advance and retract that wire any amount, then that reassures you that your wire is not kinked. What will happen as you dilate and as you advance that dilator is when you reach a point where you start to kink it, what you're doing is you're taking a pathway that deviates from the one the wire has and you create an angle in the tip. Now, if you continue to advance that, you will actually bend the wire and kink it. But at the beginning, right as you start to break that path, it's just resistance. And as you pull on the wire, it's the retraction that you'll feel it at, you'll feel resistance. And of course, the more you go and you really establish a kink, then you feel a lot of resistance, which won't resolve as you fix the angle. But initially, right at the start, it's just resistance. And that is your sign that you are starting to lose your angle. What do you do? You fix your angle. This is your kind of continuous feedback. You adjust your angle of dilation, and then you find the angle where the wire moves freely, and then you can continue. And the difference between doing this and what many people do, which is just kind of occasionally wiggle their wire, maybe every few pushes, is that that gives you feedback too late. Yes, if it doesn't pull, you're kinking, but you've already kinked at that point. And maybe hopefully you caught it before it was a god-awful kink, but it's already kinked. You don't want that. You want to have that continuous feedback. So this way, uh, you know before you have a problem, and this enables you to do things like maybe use much more force in dilation because you're reassured that the force, that resistance, is just from tissue. It's not because you're bending your wire. And that is a really helpful thing to know when you have a kind of gnarly dilation situation going on. So I really do recommend having this as just part of your technique of really all Seldinger techniques where there is dilation, just constantly be moving that wire. It's like it, it gets to the heart of what makes this an effective and safe procedure. And part of that is being able to follow the wire. What else here? Some people are not sure how deep to go. Certainly a good starting point is that you probably never need to hub your dilator. And the caveat here is that occasionally you could have to. You have some incredibly deep vessel um, and then some dilators like you know, giant ECMO dilators and things may be kind of made that way. Um, certainly the deeper you get, if you're really substantially dilating the vessel itself, you need to have a very flat angle because that's the pathway the vessel is probably taking. You're not just kind of creating a hole in the wall with the tip you're following the vessel itself, and then you do need to flatten your angle out a lot. But for most of these, you just want to reach the vessel. And a good clue for that, if you don't really remember how deep you were or you can't tell, is that, first of all, it's usually not as deep as you think, especially something like an IJ, very superficial vessel. And perhaps you can get away with not even dilating the whole tract. But if you're not sure, look at the tip of your dilator. If you've reached the vessel, and again, once you have, you're pretty much done, you will usually start to get a flash of blood coming out the back end. And it will flash around the wire, not vigorously. So you have to kind of look into it. It won't usually bubble out at you. But if you see blood, you're done. And that's generally a good clue. The other caveat here is that dilators are designed differently. Uh, in some cases, you have dilators that sort of need to be advanced more than just the tip to fully dilate. Um, these are dilators, if you look at the shape, you'll recognize this. They don't reach their full diameter right away. They have kind of a, a shallow taper 
and they only get to their full size maybe a few centimeters in. Um, some of them are even kind of stepped more than once so that it kind of dilates some and then it continues to dilate. Uh, an example would be something like a, a larger catheter, like a dialysis catheter. Sometimes they have two or three dilators in the kit so you can work your way up to the full size. Sometimes it's just one. And the way they achieve that may be by doing a lot of dilation within one dilator. Um, obviously, this would be a time when you may need to dilate deeper than just the very tip. And how do you do that? Again, make sure you're using a much more shallow angle, especially once you reach the vessel. How far do you go? You're going to have to look at your dilator and recognize what depth would represent full dilation. And again, you don't necessarily have to exactly get there, but if you shortchange it, you will find that when you go to insert your catheter, there's a lot of resistance, and you said, hey, I dilated this, what's the deal? The only other thing I'll say about dilators is that in many cases, the material they're made out of is designed to be hydrophilic. Um, and part of the reason is so that when they are wet, they actually become more slippery. So some people like to lubricate them, and really, all I mean by that is adding some saline to them, something liquid, um, not lube like jelly. Um, I have never really found this to be necessary or helpful. I think probably the, the blood itself tends to provide some lubrication. But you could try this, especially if you're having issues with, say, tight skin. Um, just kind of wet the outside of your dilator and see if that helps you to advance. There you go, folks, a handful of ideas around dilation. I encourage you to view this as uh, one of those areas within your procedural techniques where there is room for fine-tuning, even though you probably know how to do it to some extent. Take a step back and say, could this be better? If I want to really master this, is there still room for it? And I bet you'll find there are times when you have trouble with dilation, there are times when you kink your wire, and so on and so forth. Work past that. The way you master procedural stuff is not by accepting good enough, I'm able to make it work. It's by looking for room to improve, not just looking for times when things are adequate. So try this stuff out. Let me know what you think. And that'll do it for now. I'll talk to you guys next time.